Hello and welcome to the MCON cast. My name is Dylan and I pastor Middletown Church of the Nazarene, Middletown, Indiana. Uh, this is the time and space that we're going to take to feature um, once a month a uh, person from our church, what they're doing um, specifically outside of the church walls, just a little bit about them and their life and how uh, they relate to God on a daily basis, not just on Sunday morning, but what, what they do um, you know, day to day, how their faith impacts their life and how they use that in their career, uh, with their family, and, um, and just how they are uh, spreading the kingdom throughout here in our community. So uh, today we have with us Paul Ward. He is a Hello. Um, kind of a jack of all trades when it comes to uh, ministry stuff. So um, I guess the first thing I'm going to ask Paul would be what, um, how did you get involved with uh, what we affectionately call MCON here, Middletown Church of the Nazarene? So um, I'll make a very long story short. About 17 or 18 years ago, I overslept one time. And <laughs> not the only time I've ever overslept, but this one time um, I was going to church at Newcastle at the time, but I was living, um, while I was going to college, I was living with my father here in Middletown. And so I overslept and I was like, I can either be late to church in Newcastle, or if I just go to this Nazarene church down the street, I could actually probably be there in time for Sunday school. So, you know, I'll just go ahead and shoot down there and go to this church this morning, and I'll make it to Newcastle next week, no problem. And um, I uh, met Phil and Sherry. They were they were here at the time, and Sherry had no problems asking you know, if I wanted to help with anything and be involved in anything, and if I played any instruments or anything like that. And I told her I did, and she said, we have a new youth pastor coming up next week, actually. And so he's trying to put together a youth band. Would you be interested in doing that? And I'm like, "Eh, maybe, I don't know. And that's when Brad Burrow came and was the youth pastor here, and that's how we got connected. And I stuck around for about eight years. Wow. Has it been that long since Brad started here? Yeah. Wow. I was in high school. <laughs> it was yeah. a long time ago. Yeah. So that's, and then I've kind of, you know, I've been on staff at other churches since then and done other kind of ministry things, but now my current ministry context lets me attend kind of where I want, so. And so what you're saying is we are good enough for you to choose us. You're close enough. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, so um, you are a licensed pastor, mm-hmm. uh, Correct. Um, so, but that, that's a different, um, for most people who are credentialed in the church of the Nazarene, their assignment usually looks like a church building. Yes. Um, And so for you, that's different. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So I'm on what they call special assignment. Um, and my ministry is not actually within the context of the church. Although we attend the church, my family and I come here every Sunday, um, and my kids on Wednesdays and things like that. Um, my ministry context is at an organization called the Youth Opportunity Center in Muncie, Indiana. And I'm the spiritual life coordinator there, or you might better know that position as chaplain. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I do chaplain type things for the residents. It's a juvenile residential facility. Um, and so I do chaplain like things there, a program for their spiritual services and needs. That's awesome. Now, on, on any given. Um any given week, 
because there's it's high turnover there. Yeah. How how many um, students on campus are you typically responsible for in a given week? Well, we have any given day um, we have somewhere between 150 and 200 kids on campus. Um, well, that's between our campus in Muncie, and we have a new mm-hmm. excuse me a Newcastle campus as well. But as far as how many attend services, because it's voluntary, this is not a faith-based organization or a religious organization, so uh, their participation is voluntary, and we have um, probably about half of that participate yeah, in cool. spiritual services. So between I'd say, yeah, probably cool. between 70 and 80 kids total across all the things that we do, but um, that's broken up, so it's kind of hard. I'm trying to do the math in my head right now, because yeah. that's between like, seven or eight different services gotcha. um, that we break up. Yeah. So you are a busy guy mm-hmm. in your, uh, in your contact. Yeah. Cause this isn't typically uh, a day. So just, I guess, walk through a day in the life of a spiritual life coordinator as the, as at the YOC. I'd say my most typical days are Sundays. So Sundays after we, you know, my family and I attend church, and then we eat lunch, and then I head to the YOC, and I'm there till about, usually about 9 p.m. Um, at night, and so I'll go to um, our different areas and do our different services for our different populations, and on a, any given Sunday, I'll do between five and seven services, so I'll preach between five and seven times um, on any given Sunday, and then um, throughout the week, we have um, some different Bible studies and things that happen on different days, different times, different locations. So I'm doing those. I'm also in meetings, coordinating with other uh, staff. Um, we tried to coordinate a uh, like a Pacer game. The Pacers did like yeah. a faith night. Um, yeah. And so the rec coordinator and I got together and tried to coordinate um, for that. Um, you know, we plan big events. We're planning a big summer event. Um that kind of resembles like a church camp feel. That's yeah. kind of the goal. Because uh, our kids, a lot of our kids can't leave the campus sure. or for whatever reason. So during the summer, we try to do a big event that's a three-day-long event. Um, and this year, Lamores Crawford, uh, chaplain at Cincinnati Bengals, is coming. So nice. trying to plan that, coordinate that. I coordinate with uh, FCA. Some of our kids like to participate in some of those events, and so we have to make those things happen. And that requires somebody on our end to make – Make the, so I try to coordinate other activities as well as providing the spiritual services myself. Nice. That's awesome. Um, so I've, I've taken a tour of this uh, facility with you, and I've, I've done a few, I mean, a minute amount of service there. But um, you had, when you gave me a tour of this place the first time, um, you know, you showed me all the different levels of security and all that. But the, there was one thing that you said to me, and... Um, I don't remember the acronym you used, but it was um, essentially getting at events that would um, ace. In, yes, adverse childhood experience. Yeah, that would that would um, kind of uh, provoke PTSD type, mm-hmm. um, you know, symptoms. Yeah. And so, could you talk about that? I just that impacted me a lot, and I would yeah, one, I'd like to hear it again. But two, um, just for anybody else who'd be listening, it's. Yeah, so in the late 90s, um, there was a study that was done um, called the ACEs study, um, Adverse Childhood Experiences. That's what A stands for, A-C-E. And the ACEs study revealed that um, people who had 
trauma experiences in their childhood or early on in their life um, had significantly higher risk factors for health and behavior and, and all kinds of other things. And a lot of these risk factors actually, which surprising came surprising from the study, a lot of these risk factors have nothing to do with risky behavior. So you could have somebody who has a four A score or higher, this goes between zero and 10. Somebody has a four A score or higher is at, I can't remember what the percentage is off the top of my head, but they're at a higher risk of heart disease and cancer mm. Even if they don't do things like smoke, do drugs, or anything like that, even if there aren't any any risky behaviors associated with it, they're still at a higher risk just from his, having experienced trauma. And that showed the researchers how much trauma really impacts the mind, the body, the whole person. Yeah. Um, so your average person walking down the street has an A score somewhere between zero and four. Mm-hmm. Um, our kids... I believe all of them have higher than four. Almost all of them have higher than six um, A scores. So most of the kids that I work with on a daily basis have significant traumas in their background. And and more often than not, that's repeated trauma that they've experienced. Mm. So, and when you say the average person walking down the street, you're talking you and me, not the average kid. Right. You're talking about the person who's lived into their 50s even, could, yeah. it could be a zero to four score. Right. And these kids in, before they're out of high school, are already experiencing, mm-hmm. uh, they have two to three lifetimes worth of trauma. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's uh, that's rough. So that probably provides, um, or I guess um, presents some some challenges as far as, um, I, would, I would assume trust, you know, is a big thing. Earning their trust is is huge. How, yeah. do, how do you go about building relationships with them? How do you go about, um, you know, up against that kind of, you know, so for me as a pastor, people come into my church, they're doing that voluntarily and they're doing that with you as well. But, you know, they're, um, most of our congregants are not experiencing that kind of um, stuff, you know, and they're, they're fairly receptive. How do you go about showing the love of Jesus to someone who just has been um, repeatedly abused or neglected or how does that work? Well, I think there are two things primarily that I like to keep in place or keep in mind and, and they're, they're mindsets more than actions, right? And the two things are our natural mindset when we have a kid who acts out, a kid who misbehaves, as we might say, um, a kid who is, is quote unquote troubled. Um, the first thing that our we're inclined to ask is, you know, what's wrong with this kid? But I have learned that uh, what we call trauma-informed care, uh, your real first question needs to be what's happened to this kid, right? Something has happened to them Mm -hmm. that has led them to these actions, these behaviors, and these attitudes. Um, I'm not saying that's 100% of the case, but I'm saying it's like 99% of the case. Um, And so I would always err on that. Yeah, that side. But, um, and then the other aspect is knowing that our primary job is not always to fix. Yeah. Somebody comes in and they're like, oh, I've got this problem, I've got that problem, or they're acting out in certain ways. Our first reaction also is to try to fix that person or fix that problem in their life. And sometimes that's possible, but most of the time it's not. Most of the time in ministry context, it's not possible for me to fix that person's problem. Right. Um, however much I want to, you know, however much my intentions are to, 
And so for me, it's just to walk alongside them, mm-hmm. right? Learn how to walk alongside them. And I just did an article on this, but I also, um, uh, Dr. Warren Kingshorn from Duke Divinity School, mm-hmm. he's big into mixing, you know, the psychology and the ministry in together. Sure. Um, and I got to listen to him at a conference I went to, and that was his big thing too. And I was like, yes, I'm on the right track. <laughs> like, I'm saying the right things. Because he was, he used Jesus walking on the road to Emmaus, mm-hmm. you know, um, and the people, how they experienced this great trauma of watching Jesus die. Like, that was, it was a huge trauma in their life and how Jesus' response was to just walk through them with right. that, you know, walk with them, talk with them. And and when he walked with them and talked with them and did life with them, you know, he got to a point where he was sitting down to have a meal with them and broke the bread. And it was that moment that they realized who he was. Yeah. And so that's when you walk with someone, you do life with them, mm-hmm. you break bread with them, right? Yeah. Eventually there will be a moment where they open up. Um, and maybe that will be with me and maybe that won't be. And in my context, that's usually with their counselor, their therapist, because we're a treatment facility. So we have tons of those people on staff and they're meeting them on a regular basis as well. But if I'm, if I'm in there doing that life with them, that helps build that relationship. Mm -hmm. I'm not there to save anybody. That's the Holy Spirit's job, not Mm -hmm. mine. Um, so I think if I, if having those two mindsets helps this aspect of ministry tremendously. Yeah. Oh, that's really cool. So what I'm hearing you say is that there's not, um, you know, and then the church, I feel like, especially growing up, um, <clears throat> here's all the legalism, the rules, the, the number craze, you know, um, church tends to view people as, you know, kind of get them in the door. If only, if only they could hear me preach or if only they could, you know, experience this, if only blah, blah, blah. If only we could get so-and-so to the altar then everything would be different, and it's and it's um, you know I'm so glad we're in in this culture now that's starting to recognize this um, you know uh, really this kind of Jesus approach of taking people in and loving them, walking through life with them, um, and so it's just as I, as you're talking, I'm thinking it's really not any different. Um, you know the the setting is different, and you have um, you know you have a, a audience that, um, you know, isn't necessarily in a place that they want to be. Um, but you know, the, the method really isn't any different than what we should be doing in the church as well, where, um, you know, our goal should still be to not save people, but point to Jesus. Yeah. Show people what Jesus is about. It's, that's really cool that, um, that, you know, you're this pastor that works in this place but you're, um, you're, you're able to do this church work that is almost identical to what it would be in a, in a setting, um, but then the setting is just complete, I mean, polar opposite of what, you know, you're hearing probably the most colorful language um, on a regular basis. Right, you're, you're, right. Um, and it, it's got to be, I just, that has to be such a fascinating uh, job. I can imagine the, you know, days, and um, I'm sure there's, you just never know what's going to happen or if you're going to be locked at work all night or, or, uh, <laughs> yeah, like that one night you came I over, just I got, in time, you right? walked out just <laughs> as I got shut in for 
<laughs> oh man, I, hours. I was stuck. Oh, there. I was. I think I was like laying in bed, and you had texted me. I just got home. Uh, <laughs> good thing you got out when you did. Oh man, yeah, that's um, that's good. So. Um, yeah, those no. things don't happen at a typical church. No, no. And, you know, we had we had one night where we had a big, massive brawl, you know, mm-hmm. after church, like lots of kids getting in fights with each other. And yeah. It was this multiple, perfect storm kind of situation. Usually that doesn't happen all the time. But, you know, that's something that you don't, you don't expect when, like, you know, when you close up service here and we're all walking out and shaking hands and talking and small day, you don't expect to walk in the lobby and find like a whole bunch of people piling on top of each other. Like, but yeah. that could easily be, you know, what I encounter or, you know, fights breaking out in the middle of a Bible study in the cottage that's yeah. happened. And yeah, definitely lots of colorful language and stuff. But what, what I appreciate about it is sometimes what you find when people walk into church is they stop being real. Mm-hmm. They stop being themselves. They stop being who they are. And, and there's good reason for that, right? There's like mm-hmm. social etiquette and we don't want to offend people. And, yeah. and I, we shouldn't go around intentionally offending no, everybody. Sure. But what I get is, um, I'd say probably at least 75%, if not like 95% of my kids are unchurched. Yeah. I mean, they have no bearings. So, so yeah, they'll be real. They'll be honest and they'll say things unfiltered. Yeah. Just being real. They'll ask real questions that, sure. that, you know, like people in your youth group typically have in the back of their mind, but are too afraid to ask because, Ooh, oh, I'm in church. Sure. What will either the good church people think yeah. about me or what will the youth pastor think about me or whatever? Right. And the kids like, when they're sitting in front of me, most of the kids are in a, a cottage setting, and so they're wearing their own clothes and they're living in a you know a dorm style thing. Mm-hmm. But but we do have like a detention thing, and so if I go into the detention area and I've got kids who are in a jumpsuit living in a cell in front of me, they're not really worried what I think about them right. at that moment. So if they have a question, they're just going to ask it, and if they want to say something, they're just going to get out and say it. And mm-hmm. and while. Yeah, we some of that over time. There's that maturity level that needs to step in, so they know when you know certain things are appropriate or not. I appreciate the honesty yeah. and the authenticity because then I can deal with that. Sure. Like I can work with people who are real. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to work with people who are trying to play church. Absolutely, that's what I've been a youth pastor for eight years, and I've always been in a small town setting, and um, <clears throat> never, never that you know, never mm-hmm. had to deal with brawls or lockdowns or anything like that, but. Um, you know, kids will come in and, you know, oh, I can't lie in church or I can't cuss in church. And it's like, well, don't let that stop you. God, right. God's not limited to this part exactly. of the world. If you um, do it with your friends uh, playing video games, yeah, eating Doritos, still, God's right there. Yeah, he knows it. Yeah. So it's not, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm in the same camp. I almost rather them do it here so we can have a healthy conversation about it and, right. and show and give an example of how to, you know, to deal with it. Cause I mean, you know, I mean, it goes back to what what's happened to that kid. They've been taught that, you know, somewhere, whatever they you know, whatever the issue is. Um, yeah, that's that's just very interesting. Um, quite a quite a work you're doing there. Now, um, on top of um, that busyness, you are also um, you are speaking different. I mean, whenever you can get engagements, yeah. um, and you're, I know you're doing that quite a bit. So. We talk a little bit about that. What's how long have you been traveling around speaking? Probably just been just the last couple of years where I've really gotten 
kind of that going. I've done it a little bit here and there, kind of dabbled from time to time. Um, but here in the last couple of years, I've kind of uh, put myself out there for that a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And so I've been getting um, getting more invites and more conversations uh, going. And that's been in the context of, of just like preaching, you know, um, or camps or retreats or... Um, but that's also been in the the context in a few scenarios where I've done teachings or trainings about um, how to be more trauma informed when we do ministry. How do you keep these like? Because my kids at my facility are going to come into your church, <laughs> you know, yeah. like they're not going to be the majority. Where I'm at, they're the majority. That's right. their. They're not going to be the majority anymore, but they're going to be there. Mm-hmm. And so, how do you? You may never know that they walk through the door. You may never know, unless you're a really small church, you're never going to know the background of every person who comes through through your doors. Right. Um, so how do you keep those people in mind as you do ministry? Yeah. No, that's that's interesting. And that's, uh, <clears throat> I'm sure, um, coming from, you know, a, um, a, a culture in which, you know, we're now... Four generations from church being the norm, oh, or at least yeah. three. Um, you know where I mean, you've got kids in in there. I've got kids in in this church and our youth group here. Um, <clears throat> you know, I'm no longer directly in that ministry, but you know, there are people here who um, and everywhere. I mean, you know, there's I don't remember the exact statistic, but somewhere between ten and twenty percent of Americans go to church. It's not, you know, it's not a uh, a normal thing. Although like 60 claim to be Christian. Sure, yes. There's <laughs> a lot of Christians that just don't go to church. Right. Um, and yeah, so I, you know, this idea of, you know, parents who are, you know, the church exists for such a, so many purposes. And honestly, I do think, you know, it takes a village, it takes a tribe. Um, yeah. Know, I think, I think a lot of the parenting failures that we're seeing are from people not being in the church. I know, you know, growing up, myself growing in the, up in the church, you know, I had my parents, but then my close friends, or their close friends, were all kind of like my second parents as well within the church. I mean, you know, I had this support system of adults who were just checking in on me all the time. and Not being raised in the church kind of, um, it, it does, it, it hinders you from any of that. And, you know, not to say that you're hopeless or whatever, but, you know, we've never seen more um, single parents than we have right now. We've never seen more kids in foster care than right now. Um, and we're also, we've never been as far removed from church as we are right now. Right. And um, so I can't help but think that there is a um, coincidence, or a, more than a coincidence there. But um, yeah, I just, I, that's such a valuable thing. And it's, and it tells me too that, I mean, not only our church needs to be more involved, but the importance of churches partnering with facilities, partnering with foster care, um, you know, being a refuge for these kids coming out of, um, you know, opportunity centers or coming out of the system um, because they do, they don't have the support system yeah. that a lot of kids grew up with. And, yeah, and that's part of what I do. We're, we're right now, I'm working on a partnership with uh, Youth for Christ. Um, because Youth for Christ is already an established organization mm-hmm. in multiple communities, and it's really easy to plug somebody into a Youth for Christ group that's already established at a school or at a church, yeah. or you know, some of them have community centers. Like Fort Wayne has a 
a community center for Youth for Christ. And so it's a lot easier to plug them into that kind of a thing. So when the kids leave, you know, I have a limited connection, limited interaction when sure. they leave our my facility. Well, they're and, probably not itching to go back. No, no. And they're and they're only with us from, you know, maybe ten to sixteen months, somewhere sure. in that ballpark. And so if they start coming to church on a regular basis and they want to start like owning their faith while they're there, my goal in that situation is to give them all the resources and the tools yeah. to do that and to help them, you know, walk with them along sure. that journey. But I know that that's short lived. Mm-hmm. They're going to leave really quickly. Mm-hmm. And so we're working on a partnership with Youth for Christ where we will have a juvenile justice uh, coordinator, director. I, don't know, I can't remember what her title is called. But then she will. Um, get to know them while they're there, mm-hmm. and then she will help plug them into a group that's outside of there. That's so, awesome. yeah. <clears throat> no, that's that's great. And there's, I mean, there's such a need, you know. And I'm always there. I'm always open to churches too, but the the problem is I found that churches are usually already too busy, <laughs> and so yeah. it's it's really hard to be like, yeah, why don't you partner with us? And if I have like a hundred churches partner with me, it'd be great. Yeah. But then they'd have to let some other ministry facets go and, and things like that. So so this is an organization that's already in place. We're just using resources they already have sure. to kind of give some follow-up to these kids. And then hopefully through the Youth for Christ there, they'll find good churches in their communities. Yeah. Um, you know, And if I know of a good church in their community, I've had a lot of kids like, hey, I'm going out here. Do you know a church I can go to? Um, and I'll recommend yeah. that you know, if, I, if I know. If sure. I don't know, I'm like... Right. I don't know, man. Yeah. Like, just try them out, I guess. But, um, but yeah, I try my best to get some kind of plug in there, sure. so that there's a follow up. Because if kids don't have follow up and they don't have anybody holding them accountable, then they're significantly more likely to just drop back off. Yeah, and oh, yeah, the the commitment that that takes too. Just um, you know, the I mean, the amount of trauma, abuse sin i mean this kid has been through whether you know had committed against them or committed themselves you know that that distance that's been put between them and god it's um the amount of positive influence needed to make up for that is it's probably just un, i mean it's probably more than double oh yeah. you know the you know it would have to so far outweigh that to make them um heal from that you know or at least start to heal from that yeah uh, that trauma it's just um yeah that's such a it's a devastating thought, um, but at the same time, it's it's really cool that this you know government um, you know funded non faith based thing has just like allowed your foot in the door right. and let, well not even foot in the door they just let you roam the place yeah um, and and you get to bring Jesus in there and that's that's just so cool to me um, absolutely and what what what's another thing is like we have we have the solution to this right so yeah. like like. And not to put down therapy or counseling sure. or any of that stuff, because that's important yes. and necessary. And um, there's a lot of mental health work that needs to be done in these situation scenarios. But if you take kids, um, any study anywhere that you've ever read on faith and spirituality in adolescence shows that adolescents who own their own faith, right, right. that own their own spirituality, yeah. they're, they're serious about it. Adolescents that are serious about their faith are significantly less likely to experience depression, 
significantly less likely to attempt suicide, mm-hmm. significantly less likely to use drugs, significantly less likely to have dangerous or unprotected sex, yeah. significantly um, more likely to have um, positive markers for thriving, like higher academic success sure. and you know interpersonal relationships with peers and things like that. So like faith by itself dramatically changes the landscape. Absolutely. And so while... They're still probably well. These kids there definitely needs to be therapy and counseling as well. That that can't be a missed component. But to say, if we can introduce faith into this and not just a simple, hey, just you know, read your Bible once in a while sure. and go to church, but like own it, you know, yeah. you own this, then that's going to change the landscape of even what the therapist and counselor is dealing with yeah. and how that's going to sure. help them and work. You know, it's recovery programs like drug and uh, alcohol addiction recovery programs that are faith-based have way higher success rates. Yeah. Um, so, so like we've got the answer to right. this. <laughs> right. No, that's, yeah, that's so true. Um, you're talking about having the answer and, you know, and statistically this better life, but, um, you know, we know that that's not what they're being taught, um, or what the world is teaching you. Know, the world, the, the all the things you listed are all the things that the world jokes about as teaching as the better life. You know, live fast. Um, you only will live once. You know, which that just just dated me so hard. Yeah, YOLO. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know what I mean. The the mentality of of you know we just we're young. We're going to do what we want to do. We don't care what anyone says. Um, and then this life that, that is called us, you know, Christ has called us to is, is first and foremost, love God. And then after that, love your neighbor as you would love yourself. Um, and so I've always, as just as my personal walk, when I'm serving, when I'm, um, serving others, doing something, being Jesus to someone else, um, that is just, I feel like when I'm at my spiritual best, when I'm closest to God, when my mind is not dwelling on me or my problems, or, um, you know, whatever's going on in my life, but putting myself in someone else's shoes and serving them. Is that um, something you guys have had the opportunity to implement with these kids at the YOC at all? Not exactly. Um, There have been some times where they've had some service opportunities, and some of the kids have uh, community service hours that they have to work off based upon circumstances. Um, But within the, the spiritual life or faith component of it, we haven't. Um, I am currently actually in in the process of developing it. It's what, one of our goals this year is to implement um, a, a team that the kids who participate regularly in spiritual services can join that will give them opportunities to serve um, in different ways. And right now we're still kind of exploring what that looks like and what those opportunities might be. Um, it's really hard in our context um, one, because not all of the residents have the permission or the ability to leave our campus. So if we're doing something mm-hmm. off campus, sure. that significantly changes the game. Yeah. Um, so we're looking at what on-campus opportunities we could have. And then two, um, the kids, by the time they get involved in spiritual life stuff and by the time they get, you know, oh, yeah, I do want to join that team and they apply to join it and all that. Well, like, what is that process going to be? How long can they actually be on that team before they leave and go back home, you know, or go back to wherever they're going? So so those are two things that we're trying to figure out what can we do that will be not to check off a box and say we're doing something, but to be impactful, 
meaningful, uh, thoughtful in the way that we move forward with that. So, so we're having those discussions right now because, because I agree with you that those two things are, are, you know, love God and love your neighbor are, are, they sum up the law and the prophets, right? That's that's everything else. So Jesus does that. I know all these words and he's just like, you know, here's a sentence. Right. (laughs) Right. Take it and run with it. No, that's, um, yeah, that's awesome. That's really cool that, um, that all that's happening, um, there at the YOC. That's just so encouraging. So I'm just so glad, uh, that you are here, part of this church, um, uh, part of keep bumping the mic. <laughs> so if you're on the podcast and you hear some bumps, yeah. it's probably yeah. me. Oh, that's cool. But anyway, I know I'm so I'm so glad that you're um, you know we're able to claim you as one of ours. You know, I know that what we do here has um, very little to do with what's happening in there. But I, I love that we have people here like you, and and we'll hear you know in the future from some others who are doing some really awesome things um, in our community. Uh, we're just so glad that you're a part of our church and willing to um, do things that are um, that are hard. They're just hard, hard to yeah. do um, because that's what that's what needs to happen. Um, if and especially in this culture, um, if the if the kingdom of heaven is going to be advanced here and now, you know we have to go to these tough, hard places. Um, we can't just sit inside and and um, and you know pray that people meet Jesus. We have, you know, the plan was for us to do that and then also be Jesus to people. And I'm, I'm glad we have people like you here at this church doing that. And not just outside, you do plenty here too. Right. Um, Try. Well, you're preaching this weekend. That's true. That's true. (laughs) I am. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, if you're listening, it's probably going to be after you hear, so don't worry about it. Yeah. But we, um, you know, we, there are two pastors here officially and that is myself and Paul. Um, we do have other people on staff who are working towards licensing, but the ones who can marry, bury, dunk, and serve <laughs> communion are uh, its the two of us in this room. So um, we are just uh, kind of rolling with, rolling with it now. And um, yeah, so just so glad you're able to share some, uh, some of what you're doing with us and um, just look forward to seeing what God's going to do in your ministry at the YOC and maybe we can check back in a few months down the road and see what's what's been going on with you so yeah um, i want to um add a thought that i had while you were talking yeah because you know we got to drag this out and make it as long as possible but no i was i was thinking in and if somebody really theologically minded is listening and i'm off base just don't you know send any hate mail but um just report it yeah just report it to the ds um (laughs) i i was having this thought like um, as far as like what we do in church and, and all that. And, and you were saying like trying to bring people into church mm-hmm. versus going out. Um, and I've been doing a lot of study over Exodus recently mm-hmm. and Jamie and I are reading the Bible together and we're in Exodus. So I've got like all this deep study in Exodus yeah. and then Jamie and I are reading over Exodus and I got all this temple language in my mind. Mm-hmm. And, and it, and it struck me as you were talking that the, the tabernacle in the temple, mm-hmm. the people that went in, actually inside to do like the the worship work yeah were the priests yeah nobody else did that right and everybody else did their faith at home yeah you know they read the shema together as a family and they did it they did it in their streets and their communities like that is where faith was practiced 
99% of it. It wasn't 99% practiced in the temple. In fact, you know, they only went to the Holy of Holies once a year. So like, I'm not condoning don't come to church, but what I'm saying is if you go to church and you expect that to be all there is, you're going to be sorely mistaken. Like that's never, that was never God's plan and never God's design. You know, people would go to synagogue to be educated and and to have community and all of those things, which is important. But like the meat of the work was done in home, in your street, you know, yeah, in your community. Absolutely. And so that's kind of, I think what this podcast is, is leading towards is showing yes. how we as a church are doing that. And that's an awesome thing for us to yeah. see, but it's also an awesome thing for people to shift their mindset mm-hmm. and their perspective into that. Yeah. And, you know, we are, we are, tr- we are striving for that as a church now. Um, obviously we could do a way, way, way better job, but you know, we are, um, you know, that is the goal looking at the thing when you were talking and the, now we're probably going to go another half hour, but, yes, um, the, the thing that you, um, said about, you know, going to the Holy Holies once a year and priests were doing this and, and education in the community, it's church, you know, if you view church as the recharge for the work, you know, you're, if you have your cell phone battery, you know, you're out all week, you have a cell phone, whatever lasts that long, it doesn't, but say your cell phone yeah. battery lasts, uh, Sunday to Sunday, you know, you just, you're working all week, draining yourself, pouring out into others. And then you come to church Sunday, that's your support system. That's your, um, you know, when you worship and you refill, you let God re, um, you know, refill you for the work that needs to be done outside. Um, and we've had it, we've had it backward for quite a while. Oh yeah. Um, you know, these, I mean, the, these buildings and just everything, it's, it's been, it's been backward for a long time. And, um, I love, I love being, um, um, it's terrifying being young and in ministry because I have three kids and have to feed them somehow. Um, but it's <laughs> right. also really exciting because I'm feeling that shift, um, mm-hmm. it, within the mindset of church. And what's really cool is, um, you know, this, this cultural tension between, um, young and old, right now um you know all the okay boomer memes all this junk but you know right. it really is um they really just they really want the same thing it's just been so misguided yeah. for so long um and it's so cool to see and our kids will tell us we're misguided too. So. Oh, definitely. But hopefully we're getting it better than the last generation, and hopefully right. our generation will get better than yeah. we did or the next generation. Yeah, and what I'm seeing is the is the generations above me right now have been so supportive. Yeah. Of, I mean, overwhelmingly supportive of what um, of what we're trying to accomplish here so far. Um, and you know, maybe uh, maybe they just haven't had enough of me yet. But um, you know, and as we roll out more stuff, maybe they won't feel that way. But I, <laughs> I've just felt nothing but love from from all of them, and it's it's encouraging because yeah. um, that's been a thought I've had since college. Is when this thing finally starts to tip, what's it going to look like? Like we've already lost all the young people. We're going to lose the older people too. Like when we start to shift, and I, I really don't think so. I think <laughs> there's um, you know, it's just such a it's it's so much more hopeful than it is um, depressing and and you know. Um, yeah, it's just it's and yeah, it's just great. I'm I'm excited for what the future holds. But um, so, can I do a shameless plug here? Absolutely. Okay, so I was going to ask. Anyway. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so um, for those, if if you're interested in the ministry that I'm doing at the Youth Opportunity Center in Muncie, Indiana, um, feel free to reach out to me. Um, uh, either you know through Dylan or through the YOC, um, or if you see me at church, you know, stop by and talk. But um, feel 
feel free to reach out. Um, things that we need really for the ministry at the YC is first and foremost is prayer. And um, anybody can do that. You know, if you're like, hey, I'd like to help, but I don't have time to do anything or money to do anything or whatever, pray. That that's that's more important than the time or money. It yeah. really is. Um, so pray for me. Pray for our kids. Pray for our staff. Um, pray for our directors as they choose what directions we need to go and things like that. So so prayer is is absolutely necessary. Um, if if you're looking at uh, being able to spend time, we we you know we have volunteer options and opportunities available for that, um, and then. Um, like I said, we're partnering with Youth for Christ, so that might be an avenue. Um, uh, volunteering and doing a mentorship with them that would go outside of the YOC. And then obviously there's, you know, the YOC can always use money. The, yeah. the, there's never enough money for not-for-profits. Sure. So um, you go to the YOC's website, there's a donate tab, and you could do something like that as well. But i got to put that in there. What if someone would be interested in having you speak or just want to get in touch? What's your what's your social yeah. media handle? Um, my social media handles are um, on Instagram. It's at the PR Ward. And it's, if you're and, watching the video, we'll get that up on the screen. Okay, so yeah. And if and, and on Twitter, it's at PR Ward. Um, or you can just go to uh, PRAward.com. And there's a there's a way to contact me and and if you're wanting to uh, want me to come out and speak there's like a booking page on there and you can click on that and fill out all the information and it'll it'll go to my email and uh, I'll reach back out and we can go that route. Sweet. Well, thanks for being here today. Paul. Awesome, my this pleasure. Is, um, like Chick Fil A. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I shouldn't say that. We have to pay them now. No, that's <laughs> my pleasure. My pleasure. No. <laughs> all right. Well. Um, Awesome. Thanks for being here. I don't know how we end our the the maiden voyage of the podcast. I don't know if there's a, a I'm sure off. you'll come That's, up with some quippy sign off at the end and from that's like how the cookie crumbled. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. All right. I don't know what to what to say. I just Until next time. No, I don't know. That sounds cheesy. Sayonara. Adios. Well, I think it's catch, catch you later. Catch you later.